This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Episode 20, LPL Financial. Welcome to Chain of Wealth. Here's your host, Dennis, inspiring you to begin your journey of financial freedom. Hey, Chainers, and welcome to another edition of Chain of Wealth. Today, I have John Mitchell from LPL Financial with us. LPL Financial is one of the leading financial services companies, and according to the Financial Planning Magazine, is the largest independent broker-dealer in the nation, based on the total revenue from June 1996 to 2017. For four decades, the firm has served as an enabling partner, supporting financial advisors in their goals of protecting and growing their clients' wealth. John Mitchell is a registered representative with and securities are offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC. Investments advice offered through 360 Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. 360 Wealth Management is a separate entity from LPL Financial. Welcome, John. Welcome. Hey, welcome. How are you guys doing today? Good. How are you? It's been a great day. Great. So, John, can you tell us a little bit about yourself first? Well, um, I'm a busy husband and father of three. We live in Oklahoma. Um, I work as a financial advisor who has his uh, CFP, which is the uh, Certified Financial Planner designation. I'm currently affiliated with LPL and 360 Wealth Management. Uh, When I'm not working, I'm doing the typical family stuff. My wife and I have been married for almost 25 years now. Uh, We are avid cyclists. Uh, We also study Tai Chi together. Um, And we're also actively involved in our neighborhood church and try to do things with our community whenever we get the chance. Fantastic. John, I'm sure you've seen a lot of financial mistakes. What would you say is the biggest one that you've learned from personally? Well, the ones that I learned from are typically the really painful ones. Um, When I was young, I pretty much did the same thing, same two things over and over again. And, and it sounds silly, but uh, I see it all the time. And it's trying to spend the same dollar two times or twice. <laughs> um, I would I would spend it out of my checking account, um, and then I would also spend it on a credit card. And eventually, as everybody knows, that doesn't work. Um, the other thing, of course, is um, when I was young, my salary wasn't entirely fixed. You know, how many hours I would work or how many shifts I'd get. I was pretty good at overestimating the amount of income I got. So, you know, when you put those two things together, um, you tend to get yourself in a little bit of trouble. Um, and I can tell you it was, it was not fun. And it took a few years to kind of, you know, learn the lesson and uh, work my way out of it. But uh, like I say, the, the painful ones are the ones that we really learn from. I think that's something that a lot of people can relate with as well. So how did you get started as a CFP? Well, after college, um, I went to work for uh, an insurance company, and I started um, my career uh, a little over 25 years ago um, selling health insurance and life insurance. 
and it wasn't too long that I kind of felt um, trapped or confined uh, by that uh, that narrow focus. And I really wanted to get into a situation where I could, you know, do more of a holistic approach and help people uh, wherever that took me. Uh, so I needed to be independent, um, and I needed to offer a much broader picture. So I went to work with uh, LPL in 1993. And then about 12 years ago, I decided that uh, formalizing my skill set through the CFP designation was something that I thought was really important to go ahead and do. So, John, uh, for being a CFP, when do you think is the best time for couples to start sharing an account? Man, that is such a good question. Um, let me let me say I'm going to say several things on this. One, I think the really good answers to money questions typically are not going to be answers that deal with money. And let me let me say what I mean by that. Money in and itself really has no meaning. Um, I can take $100 and I can buy a birthday present for a child that will make them happy. Um, I can take $100 and spend it on something that uh, would be self-destructive. Um, I can put it in the bank and save it for later and make a decision on what it's going to mean later. But money actually has no meaning um, until we either individually or jointly as a couple assign some meaning to it. So as we kind of get into this question, I think probably primarily, I think couples need to decide what kind of relationship they want first. So if they really value, and I mean this, if they really value coming together and jointly creating a shared future, then pooling all of their resources and talents, and I, and I want to make sure that we understand that that is much more broad than just sharing their, their finances. You know, we're talking about their, their love and their creativity um, and their energy and, you know, their uh, vitality. If they want to bring all that together, then, you know, the idea of sharing an account really isn't that big of a choice. It's like, no, we have these things that we want to do together and we're going to bring everything to the table. Of course, going all in on the relationship and those outcomes um, that they desire can be challenging and maybe a little, maybe a lot frightening. But, you know, if you think about great families that you've grown up around, um, those legacies, if you will, you know, can take anywhere from 25 or, or 50 years to build. Um, so the answer to your question isn't really, again, a money question or even should we be sharing accounts. I think those answers kind of become self-evident once you start really defining as a couple, you know, where is it that we want to go? What are the things that we are both very passionate about accomplishing, you know, not just this year, but but maybe over the next 10 years? And and, and how would we bring together all of the things that uh, that we have in front of us to make that happen? Okay, and I know we all have either been in the relationship or have known somebody who has been in a relationship. What would your advice be for a couple who is having trouble compromising on what needs to be paid off first, whether it's a student loan or a car payment? How would you go about handling that? Well, first of all, you need to be pretty excited about the fact that you're on the same page of getting debt reduced. So sometimes, you know, we get stressed out over good things. You know, we want to do something to help somebody and we're not really sure what the way to do it is and it causes stress. Don't lose fact, don't lose uh, sight of the fact that what you're doing is a good thing and, um, and be excited about that. Um, of course, there's several good methods to paying off, you know, different kinds of debt. You know, any of your listeners could jump on Google, um, and you could find, you know, all your first page searches on how to pay debt off. 
um, whether you're going to roll it up or, you know, whether you're going to go after the big one first or all of those types of things. And, and they each have small little differences. But the goal is, the goal is to make progress on getting out of debt. Um, so I would say if they truly get stuck and they go, look, we have five things that we need to pay off. They all feel like monsters. Um, and we're down to two or three and we're not really sure what to do first. I would say maybe take a date night and, and go talk about those bills. And, and I might even have each person take some time talking about the debt that they seem to be kind of committed to and, and in answering the question, what is it about that specific debt that gives them such a strong reaction? What is it about um, that bill um, that they really want to, you know, drive a wooden stake into it first? I think through those conversations, um, you gain some understanding about the feelings that surround um, a certain debt um, or a certain obligation. Um, and what you may find is, is that uh, the best mathematical answer, uh, the best answer as far as getting out of debt first may not uh, provide the best bang for your buck if there's just something really meaningful about making that go away. What really great advice. I think when you have that conversation of not knowing which to pay off first, mm -hmm. it can very quickly turn into a little bit of an argument. So I think the way that you advised on that is such a positive way to look at it, which a lot of people a lot of times forget about. You know, um, if I ask, here's a funny little thing. If I asked you to tie your shoe, um, you could do that and we could still be doing it during this podcast and it wouldn't really use up much of your mental energy. You'd be using a thing called your procedural memory. Um, in fact, if you, next time you tie your shoes, you think about it, you won't actually have any language going through your head as you're going through the process of doing that. Um, our brains love efficiency. And so when we think about things that we've learned about money, there are ways that you do money and other people do money that they don't really think about much anymore because they've honestly been learning and practice these things, uh, maybe since their grandfather gave them their first quarter. So when we get into something where we kind of get stuck, it's often helpful to go back and talk about how we feel about things. Because remember, money has no feelings. We're the ones with the weird feelings. Um, and if we can talk about those things and help each other with a lot of grace and a lot of understanding, kind of unpack a few of those things at a time, um, I think we get a lot better at not being kind of owned by stress. Going back to the shoe, if, if I made you tell me the process of tying your shoe, it would put you in stress. Uh, because your brain goes, wait a minute, I don't want to think about this. I've got this licked. Um, so when you have to teach a kid how to tie a shoe, it becomes kind of a stressful event. And money situations are no different. But let me do give an ultimate answer to this. And that is, if you can't, after doing all of these things, if you can't nail down an answer, here's here's the professional advice. Uh, flip a coin. <laughs> <laughs> really? Because again, you bet, because progress is the issue. Getting out of debt, getting stuck doesn't help you. Um, and wasting a lot of uh, relationship energy and relationship capital on two really good choices um, is, isn't where you need to be. Awesome. So let's dive into that couple that's really at a lockhead. We've got someone that's a spender and someone that's a saver in the, in the relationship. And people are really struggling to, they're struggling to come together and figure out what their long-term view is, what they want to do long-term. What advice do you have for people that have such a, strong difference in beliefs or opinions on how what they should do with their money well you know it's a cliche and cliches become that way because they're they are mostly true and that's the opposites attract 
Um, so that is not, you know, someone goes, oh, you know, I've, I've, I've married this person and I've found out they're vastly different from me. You know, well, that's most everybody's story. Uh, <laughs> how those things, you know, how we deal with that every day is, is the issue. And that's how relationships are built. But on money, again, and I'm going to repeat myself maybe several times through this uh, podcast, but um, all of us have grown up in different families. And each one of those families has a distinct financial culture. So, for instance, I might be able to tell a story of um, a girl who grew up in a family who you know, was a loving family, um, not excessively wealthy. And when she got stressed out or when she got down, um, her dad would say, you know, hey, let's go spend some time together and, and let me kind of, you know, build you back up a little bit. And um, so he'd take her to the mall and they'd, they'd hang out and they would talk and maybe he'd buy her something, maybe he wouldn't. Um, and she'd come home and she would really enjoy that closeness that she had and she'd go about her day. And as time goes on, um, she might, for instance, decide that, you know what, going and shopping is, is kind of how I express or feel connection and love and, and healing when, when things aren't going well with my dad. You might have a, a boy who grows up and he's grown up in a family and, you know, his dad says, you know, look, you know, I want you to learn to, to work for every dollar and, um, and when, and money will be given when performance, um, is, is meted, is, has been met. And, um, you know, and we don't waste money and all of that. And that's a good lesson too, to be frugal. But then, you know, of course these two get married, right. And they have a fuss and she gets stressed and, you know, they're fighting over money and, and cause money's, you know, scarce when you first get married. So guess what she's going to do? She's going to probably want to go hang out at the store and she may not buy anything. She might, but it's in her pattern that that's what she does when she's stressed. She comes home. He's like, well, where'd you go? I went to the mall and boom, off they go. Right. Right. So I think a lot of this in dealing with our differences um, really is understanding the story um, of where your spouse comes from with money. Um, and these are things that you need to learn. Um, and, and as we talked about with tying your shoes, you, you may not even be really good at unpacking this for others, but I'll bet, um, that if you're married, you see these things in your spouse easier than they see them themselves. So, you know, I think probably the best thing to do, just like when you go over to your spouse's house or your boyfriend's house for the first Christmas or Thanksgiving, and you realize that they do the holidays really different. Um, you probably end up having a conversation about that difference. Um, you know, one's good. Well, this is the way we've always done it. How do you do it? And I think when we talk about money, I think it's really important for couples to kind of help each other unpack their own family's individual financial culture. A couple of bad things can happen. And that is, um, I see this all the time, is the stronger person wills their financial culture on the other one. And the other one kind of backs off and says, well, I guess this is the way we're going to do it. That can work. But over time, they kind of feel like they're a passenger on the bus and not not a co-pilot. Um, so I, I really recommend, you know, spending some time taking some process to kind of tell stories about memories that you have about money or jobs or, you know, how dad or mom did these things or how they saved for things or what they would pay for and what they wouldn't. Um, these are kind of ways that you can explore each other's culture. What you end up with at the end, hopefully, is an understanding of each other and where you come from. You can then kind of take some time and say, you know, like we did with the other question, where is it that we're going? What is it that we as a couple or as a family 
are going to want to build. And then what happens is in a very natural, hopefully not too terribly painful process, is you create a new shared culture as to how you're going to work as a couple. What are the things that you want to do? And so you end up bringing, in many ways, the best of both worlds together. Um, you create kind of a shared language about how you do money. And um, things typically go pretty well at that point because, you know, couples always say, I just don't feel like we're on the same page. Well, what does that page even look like? It looks like a combination of what you both have brought to that relationship. And it takes a little bit of understanding of each person um, digging into each other's uh, culture. It helps you know yourself um, and it helps you know the other person. It builds intimacy. Um, it, it creates grace where you go, wow, I, I didn't realize that, that that must have been hard for you to grow up in that situation. I, I'm going to be more gentle when we talk about that in the future because I now get it. So I think some of this is stuff that, quite frankly, is not done in premarital counseling. It's not done. It's not taught um, in our system about how to bring two people with different financial backgrounds together. And by the way, I've never met two people who have similar financial backgrounds. They just don't. I really appreciate that concept of coming together and taking the best of both worlds and figuring out a way forward. Talking about that couple, let's bring credit into the mix. How does mm. it change once you're married? Well, I would say that credit is a tool, just like you know, a dollar bill in your hand is a tool. Um, and you also, again, have other resources that, that you can apply to things that you're liking, you're wanting to achieve. Um, all of these tools that we have have a couple of things in common. Number one, they're scarce. We don't have an unlimited amount of patience. We don't have an unlimited amount of sleep. We don't have an unlimited amount of energy and we don't have an unlimited amount of credit, right? So as you are using credit as a couple, I think it's something that you need to be very careful with. I think it's something that uh, you need to, you know, kind of measure twice before, you know, you cut once. Um, I see this all the time that people without a lot of planning will go off and buy something or they'll finance something um, or they'll just on a whim throw something fairly large on a credit card and say, hey, we really want to do this. Let's just go. And now they're stuck. They're stuck with three years or five years of a payment that, quite frankly, would be expensive to unwind and may not even be an option to unwind. So the advice is, is to treat credit with respect, not to be fearful of it. Uh, don't treat it as evil. Um, but at the same time, make sure that anytime you're, you're going to put something that's going to extend your commitment, that both of you can look each other in the eye and say, this totally fits within our values. This is the best tool to do this. This is better than doing it this way because of that. And then come together and say, this may cause um, an inability to be flexible in the future. And we're both on the same page and think it's what we need to do. And then you go forward. But I think the big thing is really just um, make sure that collect that credit is handled deliberately. Great advice. And I feel like in most relationships, there is usually the spender and then the saver. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for the saver to kindly talk to the person who is overspending all the money? Um, well, First of all, don't do it when you're mad. Okay. <laughs> um, if you've ever done that, you know it doesn't go well. Um, I would say that you really need to pick a good moment. And I think, again, like what we're talking about, sometimes we – I'll tell you a story about myself, and it's hilariously silly. 
Um, one of the things that I absolutely love is for somebody to hand me a cup of coffee in the morning. Um, I have a friend who, uh, when we go up and, and visit them, he likes to get up early and he brews this great coffee. And, and he's from Portland, so they have, you know, they got lots of great coffee. And um, he wakes me up in the morning, says, "Hey, let's get going." And when he wakes me up, he hands me a cup of coffee, and I and I'm just gonna say it to me, that's love. That is the uh, best <laughs> way to wake up in the morning. I have to agree with you. <laughs> so coincidentally, I will occasionally go to you know Starbucks in the morning on the way to work, and and even though I'm having to pay them to do it, um, and and even though there's coffee at the office, having somebody hand me make me a cup of coffee and hand it to me has meaning to me. Now, there's times when I probably don't need to be doing it every day because it doesn't fit with the things that my wife and I have agreed on. Um, but it does have more meaning to me than just a cup of coffee, right? Okay. So I think a lot of times when you see somebody spending on something, especially if you have a plan to kind of anchor against, you see somebody starting to allocate money to things that are outside of your plan, um, there's, there's potentially something going on there that means something to them. And I think if you can find a calm moment and say, you know, hey, you know, John, I noticed that, you know, you're spending a lot of money at Starbucks and, and it's more than what we'd kind of planned on doing. You know, can you kind of walk me through, you know, what that's about? And I think that's a whole different approach than just saying, hey, if you go to Starbucks two more times this month, you know, I'm going to go spend money on X. Um, I think under giving each other space and time to, to kind of unpack those things, um, revisiting you know, your goals on the things that you want to achieve and maybe even opening it up again to say, do we need to revisit these things or, or did we get it right the first time when we made these commitments? I would say just taking it, that approach um, is a lot smarter, uh, is a lot less volatile uh, than just kind of going at it based off of your first reaction. That definitely makes sense. So what are some common mistakes or pitfalls that you see people making with their money? I'm going to go back to credit, and that is it's uh, making long-term financial commitments without thinking through the implications of tying that money up. Um, that's a big one. Um, another one, which I think is just as insidious, is not having a plan. And that is, you know, you end up, and we've all done this. You, you know, you go, man, this year went by really fast, and you know, what did I accomplish? And you go, well, I paid the bills, um, I stayed employed. Um, I didn't gain any weight. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like I, I really can't tell you what I got done. Uh, so spending the time to kind of say, where do I want to go? I don't want to just sit here and mull around for 15 years and say, well, all I did was I punched my card as a U.S. consumer. You know, how did I improve my family this year? How did I um, help my neighbors? How did I improve my relationship with my spouse? How did I improve our financial situation. I think if we don't have those ideas front and center, if we haven't kind of agreed on them, we will do silly stuff with our money. I feel like you have avoided many arguments with how level-headed you have gone about all of this. Can you tell us a little bit about LPL Financial and what their goals are? Well, LPL is kind of an interesting deal because, as, as you mentioned, we're you know one of the largest you know broker dealers in the United States, but we're also probably the largest firm that very few people have ever heard of. And the reason is because um, LPL affiliated offices are all independent, so we get to form our practices the way that uh, we think best fits uh, meeting the needs of our clients. So we're all a little bit different. Um, LPL helps helps us you know uh, gain access to the markets. Uh, they keep us 
um, basically available to, to get anything that's available on any of the exchanges. Um, they help us with our compliance, um, all those types of things. But each office really gets to set its own direction on who they want to work with. So if you want to specialize with business owners, if you want to specialize working with young couples, um, however it is that you want to build your practice, you can kind of establish that nation and, um, and pursue it there. Awesome. Chainers, we're just going to take a quick break and then we're going to dive right back into the value link round. Chainers, are you looking to get out of debt? Head over to chainofwealth.com slash debt. We've written a handy guide that can help anyone get out of debt, no matter how big or small. It breaks debt down into bite-sized chunks and teaches you the fastest way to tackle it. That's chainofwealth.com slash debt for your free guide. So, John, why do you think that people fail at achieving their financial goals? Well, okay, so let me let me try this. If you wanted to lose 20 pounds, um, which I would like to lose 20 pounds. Me too. Um, <laughs> I, I can tell you an absolute foolproof, foolproof way of accomplishing it. You ready? Yes. Uh, all right. Okay. Move more and eat less. Okay? <laughs> we all know I that. Promise you, yeah, yeah, it works. <laughs> But here's the thing. What I told you is true, but it's also not very helpful, right? Right. And, and I think that's – we get a lot of advice that's true but not actually very helpful. So so I think about you know, financial um, pitfalls like weight loss. I want to lose X number of pounds um, is kind of the equivalent to I want this much in the bank. Um, so I'll do X for – or I'll do Y for six weeks. Um, and then I'll hit that goal. Um, but we all know if we've had any experience in life at all, that diets don't change you. Um, and the reality is, and this may sound crazy coming from a financial planner, budgets don't either. Diets and budgets are basically pretty much the same thing. Um, they're short-term fixes to a lifestyle, um, that produces a problem. So you basically have to change your lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. So the people that make big changes, are the people who say, you know what, we're going to change the way we live. They actually choose to live differently. They are going to choose to believe that the changes that they want will come based on shifts in habits and desires and identities. You know, for a while we had kind of that tiny house movement. You know, everybody was watching that on HGTV. Well, the idea was, is we're tired of all of X, Y, and Z, and we want to live differently. So that choice to live differently drove all the other changes in their life, right? Okay. So I would say financially, that's really the, cl- the clue here is how do you want to live? How do you want to live in relationship with your spouse and with your family? Um, how do you want to allocate your time? And then what you end up finding out is, is that these changes kind of make themselves. If, if I said, you know what, I, I, I really want more energy. I really you know, don't want to feel lethargic every time I sit down to a meal. Um, I'm going to start doing some things differently. I want to, I want to exercise more. I want to, um, you know, be engaged with my kids physically. So I'm going to, I'm going to do all these lifestyle changes. Oddly enough, you may end up dropping 20 pounds or even more. I mean, whatever it is, you you know, needs to happen, but you're not doing it based on, I want this one little thing. Um, and I'm willing to do the short term effort to change it without actually addressing the big story. So I think getting into it and saying, how is it that we want to live and then making money a servant of those outcomes is, is a really different approach, but it's actually the approach that causes less stress and has more success. 
Great. And John, do you have any other books or podcasts that you can recommend? You know, um, it's old school, but most of the um, financial plannings or getting out of debt for dummies, those have been so helpful because they're just really basic blocking and tackling. Um, and I think, I think trying to get into some of the, the heavier stuff really isn't helpful for most families, especially young families. Um, I really don't know anybody who does a really good job in book form on doing this coaching that we're talking about today of, you know, trying to explore um, what it is that you value most in your relationship. But I can tell you that just these conversations, if your listeners will go back and listen to the podcast a couple of times, they could create a pretty good to-do list um, and a pretty good process on how to start approaching this stuff. Um, but the answers truly are within themselves about where they want to go. Um, and the answers that they come with, up with are going to be absolutely unique to them. Um, those things will push back against cultural pressure. Those things will push back against peer pressure, family pressure, and they will be able to establish an identity um, that they can, that they really can anchor to. Um, and once they have that, working with a financial planner, um, working with a banker, working with, you know, a car salesman, all of those things, they're suddenly much more equipped to say, here's what we want and here's what we don't want. Great. So what's some of the best advice that someone has ever given you? Um, let me think. That's a great question. I would say um, a piece of advice that I heard not too terribly long ago is that uh, money creates problems that more money can't solve. I'll let that sink in for a second. Yeah, definitely. And you need to remember that ultimately when you're talking about money with your significant other, that you love each other and you want to come into the same kind of place. Yes. And I'd also say don't fight with your spouse, but fight for your relationship. So, you know, when you get into that tense moment, when you get into that thing, you go, oh man, we're going to throw down on this. Remember that what you're really trying to do is you're trying to have an outcome where the relationship has more understanding um, and is stronger when you're done. It is not about tearing down the other person. It is about trying to solve the issue so that you can move forward together. Right. So, John, do you have a favorite word or quote that you try to live by? Yeah. More is usually not a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> So we're about to finish up the interview. Where can our listeners find you? And then we'll say goodbye. They can Google me up at uh, LPL Financial John Mitchell. Um, I've got a website, values-base-planning.com, which I need to get rid of the dashes, but hey, life is complex. <laughs> I, can, I can be located on uh, Facebook and um, on Twitter. I'm LPL Financial Man. Awesome. Chainers, we've been hanging out with John Mitchell from LPL Financial. Check out his website. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the techniques and strategies discussed are suitable for all individuals or will yield positive outcomes. If you've enjoyed hanging out with us, head over to iTunes and subscribe, rate and review. Every little bit goes so far, Chainers. Catch you on the flip side.